Hello, everyone, and welcome to The City Speaks, which is a podcast by me, Spark City. Uh, Just starting out, let's get into our first episode. So I often think about things in the gaming industry. Uh, I'm not an insider. I don't really have any program knowledge. I'm just a, a very passionate gamer, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Pretty much everything I say on this podcast, it's it's going to be more, I guess it's supposed to be more thought-provoking as opposed to like, you know, this is what's going to happen based on hard data. This is just, you know, me noticing trends and trying to extrapolate them forward. So let's start off with games as a service. So games as a service, for those who don't know, for the uninitiated, are uh, games that are sort of designed to be a continuous revenue stream for the developer. Um, you know, see anything like MMOs, World of Warcraft, stuff like that. That was probably the first example of games as a service. More recently, it's it's become more of the uh, what what most people today would probably know as the Fortnite model. Um, you have you know battle passes, seasons, billion cosmetics. The game is usually free to play, uh, but the money is made through repeated season subscriptions. You know all these premium options that they offer you. Interestingly, uh, I've played two games very extensively in the past few years uh, that have both started off as paid products with this sort of games as a service mindset and then gone full games as a service. Uh, I'm talking about Rocket League and Fall Guys. Rocket League was uh, $20 on launch. I believe I got it for free on PlayStation because it was a PlayStation Plus day one back in the day, July 2015, I believe. Um, And Rocket League was a $20 game you paid the price up front and then you could get the cosmetics if you wanted there there were seasons but uh but there was no it's called the rocket pass but there was no battle pass i'll just use the generic term so that everybody knows there was no battle pass there was nothing like that it was just seasons competitive seasons and really the seasons only uh affected a few things it affected ranked play and it affected maybe a couple maps here and there maybe a mode or two an extra mode that got thrown in every so often um epic bought that game and essentially nothing happened for a, for about a year when, uh, you know, as the, the acquisition of, of Psionics was going through for Epic. Um, this stuff takes a while. I would assume it's, you know, supposed to be like antitrust and, and making sure they're not forming a monopoly of any kind, although Psionics was very small, so who knows. But either way, so essentially what happened with Rocket League was they went into a Fortnite model. Um, they started having the Rocket Pass, the Battle Pass. You had free freemium models in throughout the game. DLC started getting more expensive, even though the game was still $20. Uh, and that was sort of like uh, one of those moments where you're like, huh, this is interesting. And a lot of people were, were uh, speculating that Epic was going to be able to pour a bunch of resources into Rocket League, really boost the esports scene and, and uh, try and make it regain its prominence or give it more prominence, introduce the game to new eyes. About a year after that, Epic took the game free-to-play. This is a move that had been speculated for a while, um, and but they actually did it. They took the game free-to-play. They dropped the $20 price tag, uh, So and they uh, and it was on multiple platforms, and cross-play, got, or cross-play was already there, but cross-party matchmaking, uh, cross-platform matchmaking, I should say, so I could party up on PC with an Xbox, a PlayStation, and a Switch user, theoretically speaking. Uh, that was a, a relatively new thing at the time, um, cross-platform matchmaking was already there but cross-platform partying was relatively new at the time and it was very exciting and i think that was a great move it was something where they had to invest in some back-end infrastructure to make this work i think and uh it was sort of at the time there weren't a lot of games going around that had this sort of feature you know fast forward to today and the game is essentially if you if you talk to people in the scene the game is as successful in in esports as it's ever been you know viewership is up 
sponsorships are up, I guess. There are teams vying for spots in the professional league. They're talking about franchising potentially. Some people are arguing for it. Some people are arguing against it. I'm not too involved with that anymore. But what has also started happening is the the sort of uh, pricing and the pricing differences have started to creep in for a lot of a lot of the features. You know, a DLC car back in you know the early days of Rocket League, even even a couple years in, it was you know two three bucks, and you get you know anywhere from three to four, sometimes even five cars. I think definitely three to four. Um, and now it's a lot more focused on licensed stuff, you know, very similar to what they did with Fortnite, where, you know, you can have Darth Vader fighting Goku, fighting Spider-Man, fighting Sigmund Freud, fighting whoever. There's a whole bunch of different universes crossing over, and it's all about, I want to play Fortnite, but I want to play as my favorite franchise. And so now it's like, I want to drive a car in Rocket League, but I want to be driving a Ford F-150 or, you know, an Aston Martin supercar or anything like that. And now DLC is like $10, $15 US to get a single car. But it's licensed, so it's premium, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they still have the battle pass with free and premium tracks. Very classic stuff. I have nothing against that personally. It's all, you know, you, you want to create, like I said, you want to create that continuous revenue model and you also want to encourage people to play the game. So it makes total sense to me. I've got nothing against that model. I'm not a huge fan of the DLC changes. I don't like the fact that, you know, the, the focus isn't on creating fun cars for our silly children's car ball soccer video game where you fly around with rocket cars. It's now like, oh, I want to play rocket. I want to play rocket soccer with a Ford F-150 or a, you know, like a Lamborghini or some sort of crazy Rolls Royce or some some shit. I don't know. I don't know what's in there. Uh, I do know the, you know, Aston Martin and Ford have both have deals. I haven't kept too close an eye. Um, but it's interesting. That seems to be Epic's pattern. You know, you take this and you try and add brand recognition into a game in, in an, at least a somewhat relevant way, like it's cars, you know, it's not like they've, they haven't added like, I don't know, like a Roomba or something that wouldn't make any sense. They've added these, these premium cars. So that's games as a service, right? And so Fall Guys, how does Fall Guys work into this? Well, I played Fall Guys for probably the first solid year it was out and I played it a lot. I played, you know, 3000 hours in that first year. Uh, I competed at a high level. I won some tournaments. That's pretty cool. And how does this relate to Fall Guys as games as a service? So when Fall Guys came out, it always had a free season, you know, pass, so to speak. Like it just, there were there was no premium option for it. If you wanted to buy some of the more premium skins, you had to win games. Crowns were the, uh, were the currency of choice. And this was kind of, you had kudos for winning games, or you had kudos based on how you finished a game. Winning got you more, obviously. Getting farther into a game got you more kudos, which was one of the currencies. And then you had crowns for winning games. Uh, you could buy kudos with real money, but it was almost never worth it. Like, I'm not sure I know anybody in the Fall Guys community who's bought $60 or any kind of amount of money worth of kudos because it was just, you know, just play the game uh, and you, you'll eventually get it. So and then about a year after they launched, Epic bought Mediatonic. And so this was, you know, it was funny for me because I was like, wow, I just got away from this, you know, deja vu. We come back and Epic's buying another game that I like. Um and so everybody was speculating, you know, like, oh, man, they're going to put so much money into Fall Guys. They're going to fix a lot of the desync issues, all the all the weird coding stuff that makes the game feel really, really difficult to play at any kind of at any kind of level. You know, they, they're going to fix desync. They're going to fix body blocking. They're going to fix grabs being crazy. They're going to fix lag all over the place. They're going to fix hackers, all that stuff. Um, and I was sort of sitting there with like, you know, kind of remembering what they did for Rocket League. And like they didn't really f- fix anything. These these projects, you know, stuff like cross-party plat- uh, par- uh, cross-platform partying were already in the works you know they just needed to actually get the agreements from i think sony was actually the one 
who was really hedging their bets and didn't want to agree to a cross-platform party system. But eventually they capitulated and then we got it. But from my user experience, as somebody who played Rocket League at a, at a very high level, the highest level, you know, without going actually pro, they didn't really add anything to the game. They just monetized it differently. They didn't, you know, a lot of people complained about servers in Rocket League and Epic didn't do anything to fix the servers. There were still, you know, your classic 8,000 Reddit threads a day of people complaining about server quality and stuff like that, depending on the region they were in. And so that that led me to believe that Epic wasn't going to put any money into the infrastructure of Fall Guys per se. They weren't going to say like, oh yeah, here you go guys, here's a bunch of money, take your time. What we're going to do is, you know, we're going to expand the team and with that expanded team, we're going to fix the game from the ground up because Fall Guys, if you talk to anybody who's played the game at a high level for a while, the game is pretty broken. The devs have acknowledged certain things about the game being broken and it's been, you know, over two years at this point and there's been very little, if any, improvement on a lot of them. Uh, so, so everybody was, you know, the, the community at large, the community at large were very much interested in, in what Epic was going to do for Fall Guys. And, uh, you know, for me in my brain, I was like, I don't think it's going to be much. And if there is anything, it's going to take about a year. Uh, so, and I said this many, many times on stream. Um, so, you know, fast forward to earlier this summer, the oft cited, well, not off cited, about uh, in, in early 2021, uh, Mediatonic had said that they were going to bring the game to Xbox and Switch. It was already on PlayStation and PC. They were going to bring the game to Xbox and Switch, therefore uniting the clans and creating one giant bean experience. Uh, and they said that was going to be done in the beginning of summer 2021. So then there was radio silence for about 12 months. And then in June of 2022, they actually released uh, they, they released the game to switch an Xbox at the same time as, and stop me if this sounds familiar, they took the game free to play. No longer was, you know, the game tied down by this $20 price tag. You know, all the Switch kiddies, all the Xbox gamers, all the PlayStation gamers, everybody who wanted the game and hadn't played it for two years after all of the hype had died down and still wanted the game and didn't didn't have 20 bucks to spend on it could now play the game. And uh, so that's good. You know, you bring the, bring the game to... You essentially give the game a second release, and this touches on a topic that we're going to talk about later. I'm kind of rambling here, but but stop me if this sounds familiar. Then they introduced a paid version of the Battle Pass, and then they introduced, then they they scrapped crowns as a currency system, kept them in the game anyway as a reward for winning the game, even though they're completely useless now, essentially, except for unlocking more cosmetics. And then they then they made a separate currency that was pay only called Showbucks. And now DLC, instead of being $3 for a pack of five costumes is now, or, you know, a pack of three costumes or whatever is now $15 for one costume. And usually the costume is based on something, you know, like a collaboration with another video game. They had been doing video game collabs forever. A lot of their earliest skins, because they were a Devolver digitally published game, they had friggin' Jacket from Hotline Miami as a skin you could use in Fall Guys. They had a lot of different ones. They had My Friend Pedro, a lot of other Devolver games. They got on the hold, got on the horn with Devolver and were like, hey, can we collab with all of your other game devs and maybe get their games into Fall Guys? And many of them were like, yeah, this is awesome. And, you know, who doesn't want to see their their game character as like a silly little bean costume in a fun, fun game, you know? So, but now it's like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a skin of... I forget what the most recent one was, but you know, now it's like, oh, it's $10. And a lot of these aren't even, aren't even the collabs. Some of them are like, oh, it's like a re 
re-palette palette swap of an older skin. Cool, that's now $10 for the top and bottom instead of being, you know, two cra five crowns, 10 crowns of in-game currency. So it's a bit strange. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of how they've taken it. They, they also gave everybody, they cr converted everybody's crowns to kudos and then you kept earning crowns anyway and they eliminated crowns as a currency. And now kudos are functionally useless. They're also incredibly hard to earn for new players because the game just doesn't give you a lot anymore. They don't give you nearly as much as they used to. So even the, the skins that are still sold for kudos are still hard to obtain. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. So I don't I don't really think it's worked as well. So let's let's move on into how what has actually worked in the epic takeover, I think. So for Rocket League, if you talk to anybody in the Rocket League scene, the eSport is as big as it's ever been. And I would imagine that's something to do with Epic's marketing budget. Or uh, obviously I have no direct evidence of this, but the game, I'm seeing a lot more ads for it. I'm seeing a lot more of this, that, and the other thing. Epic is always featured prominently in the ads as, you know, the publisher or parent studio responsible for the game, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly there's at least marketing going into the game. Um, and the game is the game did grow. I'm not sure, you know, if it's if it's tailed off or whatever, but the game has grown. You know, RLCS events now have extremely strong viewership compared to where they were two or even three years ago. So how does this work for Fall Guys? Because Fall Guys is not a competitive game. Fall Guys is absolutely not a competitive game. Uh, they Mediatonic has done everything they can for the last two years, basically, to to shut down. Or not shut down, but at least not encourage competitive the competitive spirit in their game. They don't support grassroots tournaments. They don't shout them out. They don't advertise them in any way. They don't reach out to any big creators, or they didn't when I was playing the game. Um, and so now there's like a you know there's a, a mediatonic partner program where influencers will get the skins early, some skins early, or or whatever they'll get you know certain benefits and. More recently, and this is this is sort of a, a sticking point for me, I participated in and got absolutely smashed in, because uh, I'm washed, in Courage JD's uh, Epic-sponsored $20,000 competitive Fall Guys tournament. And $20,000 is a lot of money. And I really appreciate the opportunity to play in it, which came from Drew Crew. Um, and Courage, of course, had to, had to okay it. Um, and Epic for sponsoring the tournament, that's huge. And then f five days later, there was a, a large, supermassive influencer-only tournament, and the prize pool was not $20,000, but $100,000. And so I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful for this, I, and, <laughs> and you're going to hear a but. I, you can already hear it coming. I don't want to sound ungrateful for this. It was an incredible thing that Epic did to throw the grinders a bone. But it kind of harkens, uh, harkens to a, a theme or sort of a... a consistent message that they've been sending with all of the changes they made not only to fall guys but also to rocket league in that they are trying to get new eyes on the game and they're prioritizing that a lot more than they are keep uh you know trying to i don't know please or cater to the individuals who have kept their game going for the last two years or three years in rocket league's case and in rocket league's case this works because esports is how the game is going to thrive not many people are logging on a rocket league to play, you know, with friends more than once a week for, you know, five years. It, it just doesn't usually happen like that. I would say most people will play a game for a few months at a time, even with their friends. They'll play if they have friends to play with. Most people, that's how most people are going to do a casual style approach to a game. Fall Guys is 
a casual game and Mediatonic has done everything they can with design decisions to not supporting grassroots attorneys to openly stating that the game is supposed to be non-competitive and more fun to the casual player. And so I think that just throwing money at it isn't going to have the same effect. So what they've done is they they realized that, and I mean, it's, it's a business decision, obviously. I'm not going to sit here with my doe eyes wide with idealism and say like, oh, they should be giving the, you know, the competitive players more money to play because like those are the ones who are actually going to showcase the game at its highest level. They don't care. They do not care. And I love that they threw a bone to the grinders. You know, I love that I got to participate. I love that some of the people who have been playing the game for a long ass time won some money. That's fantastic because there's not a lot of money in Fall Guys. Um, but I think what ends up happening is you have to understand, I'm not casting judgment on the decision to to put the game in front of more eyes, a.k.a. hold a super massive influencer tournament and give it a five times bigger prize pool. That's not a that's not a good or a bad thing. I'm not trying to phrase it as a good or a bad thing. I'm phrasing it as this is the direction that they're going. And even though this was a tournament, quote unquote, a tournament, and the competitive tournament was definitely a tournament. Um, if you've been involved with Fall Guys in the competitive scene for a long time, I think you should see this. It's it's slightly encouraging because there's going to be more people. So maybe you have more opportunity as a creator to really get into uh, Fall Guys as, as a content creation path. You know, that's how I got my partnership on Twitch. Uh, I was a early adopter of Fall Guys. I played the game um, a lot, thousands of hours, and I competed in tournaments, even though I'm very, very bad at competition, especially in a PvP real-time environment. I'm much more, I'm much, uh, my, my competitive experience up to that point had, had basically been uh, leaderboards and rock band back in the day. And so, you know, going into an actual real time or speed running even. So going into a real time thing where I'm, I'm competing against other players and not just a leaderboard, that was terrifying for me. And I was not very uh, good at handling my emotions, but I, I managed to find some success just due to the strength of my gameplay. And, uh, and that's how people found me. So I like that this is, you know, bringing the game to fresh eyes is going to mean a bigger audience. And it already has for a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys and gals on Twitch. And that's great. But I think it's important to not read too much into this as like epic, you know, Papa Epic bailing out Fall Guys in a competitive way. The game is not suited for competitive play. And what we should uh, what we should look at this as is it's an it's an advertising ploy. It's essentially an advertising ploy for for Epic to say like, hey, guys, check out this new game. You know, we're going to capitalize on Courage JD's popularity within the game. He's a he's a large creator. And so how can we parlay our momentum in that? He gets a ton of views playing this game. That's a ton of new eyes. How can we bring even more eyes? Well, we'll get people with bigger audiences and we'll just slam them together into a giant money pile. And this is how we're going to market our game. It's very, very effective, but make no mistake, it's a marketing ploy. Epic does not Epic does not care about the communities of any of its game. It's a large gaming company. It's, a, it's an industry titan. They do not care about many player bases. The people on the teams who create these games will absolutely care. But Epic as an entity and, and the higher-ups at Epic probably do not care about the individual player experience. They're leaving that in the hands of the people who craft the game, and they, those people are going to take the game in the direction they want. So it's interesting. It's not a bad thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but it is interesting to note that this is the state of content creation as it relates to competition. Tournaments are, are you know, competitive tournaments are less you know one-fifth of the value of you know just showing the game to more people 
And that's interesting. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the future, they're going to be like, oh, cool. Now with those extra people, let's start, you know, funding the competitive scene. But the game is also just is, is absolute dog shit to play competitively. Like if you watch the competitive tourney, it was it was most people, myself included, barely ever made it out of the first round because of just how awful the game is. But anyway, that's that's another topic. So after that incredibly rambly first like four hours of the podcast, let's move on to subscription services on consoles because this is sort of, you know, you have games as a service. So now let's talk about subscription services. Uh, I'm, of course, referring to PS Plus and, uh, you know, I know Ubisoft is doing Ubisoft Plus now, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and just talk about the consoles. PS Plus Game Pass. I think Game Pass is amazing. Uh, you know, I've, I've owned Sony consoles my whole life. Um, here's me like decrying that I don't have any bias. But I've owned Sony consoles my whole life. Uh, I love PlayStation. I liked a lot of their IPs. I don't like some of their IPs. But, you know, I, th- I bought the PS3, even though the PS3 was a suspect console. It was a phenomenal computer, but it was not the best console, not a great launch. Uh, I had I started with PS2. I had an N64 we got from a consignment store, and then uh, my dad knew a guy at Radio Shack, so I got a PS2 early, got super lucky, and I've been hooked ever since. And... Uh, and so I think Game Pass was an incredible leap forward. And I think Microsoft has to be credited with doing a, a very good job of forcing some consumer-friendly moves in an otherwise relatively stagnant console industry. Um, I think, you know, Nintendo's off doing their own thing. They are not trying to compete with, with Sony or Xbox, and they, they outsell them every time they release a console, mostly on the strength of their first-party IP and, and their appeal to casual gamers. Um, and that's their strategy. They released two years in between, you know, like right in the middle of everybody else's console development cycle, they released their consoles. So they don't release them all at the same time. It's it's smart. They knew what they were catering towards and they nailed it. They started that with the Wii and they also make a cheap console. And so Microsoft, again, in that vein, took a hit and was like, hey, listen, we know that console manufacturing is a net loss for the business. So instead of trying to recoup a uh, you know trying to recoup our losses on that why don't we just chop a hundred dollars off the price and then we'll we'll do better with software shipments game shipments stuff like that i think that was genius that was such a good move i don't know how it translated but it makes sense to me you know you're going to take a loss in this anyways why not make it a little bit more of a loss but also hopefully sell more units um sony refused to budge on the console thing and you know the ps i think the ps5 is outselling but it's hard to be sure because microsoft doesn't release figures uh, sales figures i don't think um so but game pass back to game pass it was a it was a it was a leap forward and i think it was i think subscription services are really cool i of course am worried already you know like like a lot of people are i am worried already about you know subscription services essentially becoming the new cable um just like how they have with with uh, streaming services you know like netflix and and disney plus and all that basically every large company is just going to start their own streaming service Ubisoft Plus is already doing it, as I mentioned. I think EA's got one. Um, And so I am a little bit worried about that. But just talking about Game Pass and and PS Plus. So PS Plus Extra and Premium launched in June, I believe, of this year. And it it essentially folded PlayStation Now, which was the old service, into uh, PlayStation Plus, which was the existing thing. So now you have Essential Extra and Premium. Most people already know this, just for the uninitiated. Essential is what PS Plus was, where you get the a couple extra, a uh, couple free games at the beginning of every month. Extra and Premium now have a second drop in the middle of the month, where you get games all the way back to PS One, uh, and and so PS One through PS Five games are now being released monthly for free, as long as you have a subscription. 
Um, side note here, I think it's really interesting. You, you hear a lot of people say like, oh, subscriptions are a scam because you don't actually own your shit. You know, you don't own any of these games. You're just renting them from Sony. And it's funny because I've never heard anybody say that about like Netflix or Disney Plus. Nobody's complaining about not owning, you know, Mickey's Epic Adventure 69 420 on, on Blu-ray. You know, they're, they're more concerned about video game ownership, at least in the circles that I've seen. Um, I'm sure people have the same issue. But I think that a lot of the, the oh, ownership stuff is, is very, uh, it, it's sort of a fad, you know, NFTs are kind of in that same vein of like, oh, it's all about the ownership, bro. And people like having like a real hard on for ownership, like it means something in today's world where I think subscription services are the future. And so far, PlayStation Plus, I've been very, very impressed with. Um, of course, I'm probably slightly biased, but even on the on the months where they don't release anything I like, like they release most, most of the Assassin's Creed series, which I'm not a huge fan of. I'm, I don't like Assassin's Creed as a franchise. Uh, and then they release the Yakuza franchise or the Yakuza franchise, which I've never played, but I still think it's great. You know, I think it's it's high value. I'm more trying to view this as like for the average gamer, is this a worthwhile uh, subscription? If you like Assassin's Creed, you're already paying for yourself like four years over with the amount of games that come out for it on extra. And that's just extra. You don't need premium for that, I don't think. Um, I will say premium has been a bit disappointing. Premium is where they usually release the PS3, PS2, PS1 games. And that's been a little bit disappointing. We haven't really seen a lot of like really old titles. Granted, a lot of the titles that I wanted to see are like niche, garbage, you know, Orphan Scion of Sorcery 2000 release titles for the PlayStation 2 that like didn't have a big following so I'm you know I was already shooting for the moon on hoping hoping against hope that uh that my my represented games my childhood games were going to show up on this service and maybe they will someday but so far I think premium's been a bit of a flop this month they did release the Sly Cooper collection which is uh HD remaster the first three games as well as uh Thieves in Time which is the newer one so that's pretty cool. If you're a Sly Cooper fan, that's good. But I think so far premium has been a bit uh, underwhelming in terms of value. But I think extra has been amazing. I mean, this month or last month for September, they released, what did they release? Deathloop, uh, Spiritfarer, a couple of cute little adventure games. Uh, I think uh, a fighting game, Grand Blue, or was that a free the free game? I don't know. But either way, I don't remember. But this has been, it was, and you know, I have gotten a ton of value out of the games that are already there. Uh, as a platinum trophy hunter myself, it's been a hugely high value thing. And I love the variety that's on there. And like I said, the whole Assassin's Creed franchise, the whole Yakuza franchise, amazing. Like these are some some incredibly valuable games in terms of how much you would pay for them if you didn't have a subscription service. And I think that's great. What I worry about, I will say, what I worry about is that premium A will never become a, a worthwhile purchase. I'm going to keep at it because, you know, I... I have hope for the service and you might as well try it and I'll take the hit for everybody else who doesn't want to. Um, but also, I think my biggest worry is that eventually Microsoft and Sony get to the point where they're kind of just like uneasily looking at each other like, I won't release anything good if you won't. And then we end up with a subscription service that's essentially bloatware. I know a lot of people, it's hard to judge, you know, by, by looking at other people's reactions to stuff because there's so many people out there who are like, oh, every month you'll see them under every here's the lineup for PlayStation Plus blog posts, or here's the lineup for the new Microsoft Game Pass for this month. And they're just like, thanks for giving me another reason to unsubscribe from the service. And they do this every single month. And you're just like, shut up. So it's hard to tell. But just judging by the games that I've seen from Microsoft, a lot of them haven't been like real hitters, especially with their philosophy of like, we're going to bring premium content day one to the Game Pass. And that's a very, that's a very cool goal. And I think that's awesome. And I think the, the more they do that, the better. But they also released Deathloop this month on Game Pass. And I think that's great. 
And I really want both of these services to keep being consumer friendly because it's great when companies are competing with each other for the benefit of the consumer. And I think in this case, we're in a sweet spot right now where that's kind of what's happening. Sony and Microsoft, Microsoft led the way with Game Pass. And then Sony realized like, holy shit, I got to catch up to this. And they realized that if they wanted to catch up, you can't just release the same quality of games that Microsoft has been releasing. You have to one up it. So they've got the Assassin's Creed franchise. They've got this, that, and the other thing. Uh, the Yakuza franchise. They've got Spirit Fair, which is, an, uh, I mean, if you've never played Spirit Fair, if you're not into like management sim games like Stardew Valley and stuff like that, give Spirit Fair a try because I think it's remarkable. It's a lovely game. I am way not into Stardew or, you know, Rune Factory or Slime Rancher or whatever. Not into those style of games. Love Spirit Fair. It was, it's amazing. I'm going to get the platinum for it on stream on Monday. Tune in. Spark City. Twitch.tv slash Spark City. So. What I worry about is that Sony and Microsoft are going to get to a point where they're like, all right, we have enough consumers. We have enough people with these subscription services. Let's just, can we just have like a, a gentle douches agreement to stop releasing anything good and just like let the recurring revenue flow in? That's what I'm worried about. So I am going to keep a, a close eye on all this stuff. You know, it's part of my job. I stream a lot of these games. Uh, and it's also, you know, I want to be smart with my money. Uh, and I don't want to blindly support Sony because I enjoy a lot of their products and I have in the past. I'm not going to nostalgia support them and I'm not going to nostalgia bash Microsoft. I think it's really cringe that people are still having console wars and making, making name, you know, making fun of each other for what fucking lump of plastic and silicon they have in their living room. You know, why can't we just enjoy stuff? You know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of shooters. So, you know, gears and halo don't super appeal to me, but I could totally see how fable, you know, would be fun for people. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see. I really hope Microsoft doesn't take the Elder Scrolls series uh, exclusive. Uh, that would that would really suck. Um, so, but here's the thing. So I mentioned uh, Microsoft's strategy of day one premium content. You know, we want to get these AAA titles or or AA titles out on Game Pass day one free, so that people can play them if they have Game Pass. That is super admirable, and I don't know how they're going to do that. They've done it in the past, I believe, already. I'm not super familiar with game pass and, and the actual inventory that's on the service so i won't i won't comment you know too specifically here but i'm pretty sure they've done that and more recently uh one of the execs at sony uh shuhei yoshida i believe recently went on record being like we're not going to release any premium content day one and at first i read that headline i was like oh god here we go and then i read the rest of the article and it was very interesting to me i'm still not sure if i agree with it but it's at least something different and again i don't mind differing approaches if you can make a different approach work but and remain competitive in a consumer friendly way great so sony sony says we're not going to be releasing any of our first party premium games day one okay so why are we not doing that and the explanation was we are exploring the concept of life cycle management for our first party devs and i think that's super interesting Lifecycle management is not something I've really thought of. You know, you sort of think about a game, it gets released, that's the peak hype, it's all downhill from there, and then the game eventually dies in some way. <clears throat> if it's a live service game, another Call of Duty comes out, you know. Call of Duty is like the ultimate six-month expansion pack live service fiesta where they just release the same game every six months and get all the influencers on board, and then six months later, it's like, oh, it's a ghost town. Best game ever, and then the next one comes out, and that's best game ever, etc., so that's their life cycle management. Short life cycle, quick hitter, addictive gameplay loop, go. We're just going to keep cranking these things out, you know, like it's the land before time. And so that's that's one approach to life cycle management is just, you know, essentially it's like a you're like a mayfly. You, you 
are born, you do a lot of shit in 72 hours, and then you die. And then, you know, ideally you have a bunch of kids in that time frame, but so that's where the analogy kind of breaks down. So Sony bringing games to PC is another example of this life cycle management, especially for single player games, because it's very easy to do life, life cycle management for games as a service, live service games like Rocket League, Fall Guys, Call of Duty, any, any MMO. You just release a new season. You, that's all you do. You know, you release new new cosmetics, new season, maybe some new maps if you're lucky, whatever. And that's how you do it. It's very set in stone. This is how basically every developer has done it. Um, and that's great. Sony bringing game, single player games to PC like God of War 2018, Horizon Zero Dawn, Spider-Man and Marvel Spider-Man is very interesting to me because they're essentially giving their game a second release date. And that is really exciting. And you're broadening the audience of people who get to play it. I think that's really smart. And... We've realized as consoles that we should not be trying to compete against PC as a, as a gaming platform. You are competing with PC. Compete against the other consoles. Fine. Go for it. But you're not going to compete against PC. It's a, it's a completely different experience, I think. So I, I think it's very intriguing and, and encouraging that, that Sony is bringing games to PC. I know Microsoft has been doing this for, for a long time. It's kind of cheating because they're Microsoft and they own a lot of Windows, you know. It's window shopping, you could call it, I guess. They, have a good, they got a lot of Windows to of where they can put their stuff up and that's cool so i know they've been doing this for a while you know gears i think got a pc port i know halo infinite was on pc so that's great but i'm, I'm excited that sony's now doing this too with god of war you know because i think a lot of their ips are very unique and uh maybe not horizon horizon might be a bad example but spider-man is one of one of the most highly i, I think it's one of the best-selling superhero games ever i think god of war 2018 was a really interesting reimagining of the franchise and i'm so glad that more people get to play this stuff. I think exclusives got to go. Unconditional exclusives. I think they have to go. However, and here's where I'm going to like sort of about face and then trip over my own feet. I think timed exclusives are actually another really interesting and reasonably healthy example of life cycle management because you're doing the same thing. You're saying, okay, six months, we're going to release the game to this platform. So if you want to pay more for it, all the influencers have to have this console. This is how we're going to generate hype. And then you generate that, you know, I would say like six months is probably your limit, maybe even shorter than that, maybe three months timed exclusive. Um, and you generate your further hype by, you know, encouraging the FOMO machine to like do its thing, you know, where everybody's like, oh my God, like Elden Ring has to be less difficult because I want to finish the game, even though the whole point of that game is to struggle. Um, I think, I think it's very, I think timed exclusives are actually one of the best moves for developers. Um, I won't say for consumers because I don't think it really affects a consumer too much. Like consumers will bitch and moan about everything, but playing a game six months after somebody else plays the game, if having to wait six months makes you not want to play the game, you probably didn't actually want to play the game that much. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. I, you know, I don't think if somebody wanted to play Fall Guys and there were a lot of people who did when it was exclusive to PS4 uh, PlayStation and, uh, and PC. There were a lot of people on Switch and Xbox who were whining about it. They eventually got to, and they still wanted to. The people who were complaining in the first two months and eventually gave up on the game when everybody else did, they didn't care. They just were f afraid of missing out on the next big thing, you know? And I don't think those people should be catered to. I think we need to move away from that as a species. Um, so timed exclusives are a kind of interesting way of doing that because and I, I hope the industry starts to become more like transparent with the consumer by being like, cool, this is going to be, this is going to be released for PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. This is going to release for the Game Boy Advance on March, 2023. 
And then in on June 2023, it's going to release for everything else. Tell me the release dates right up front, right there. So now I can still be hyped and I can see the stuff come out. I can be like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. And then I can and then I can get it later. I think that's great. And it helps developers a lot because it essentially gives them multiple release dates for their game. And I think for single player developers, especially, this is a tricky thing. Once your game is out of the bag, it's really hard to recapture that initial like, whoa, new game, you know, kind of feeling it with the public. So I think timed exclusives are an interesting way of approaching lifecycle management. And I'm really excited to see how Sony, you know, um, I guess furthers this concept. I haven't really heard of it. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's, you know, talked about a lot in, in video game development and, and uh, higher ups and, and publishing, especially I would imagine. But I think that's really cool. And I'm excited uh, for, for that to continue. So I guess to sum this all up, I know it's been a rambly episode. This is my first podcast ever. So it's, it's a little bit weird sitting here in a closet talking to my laptop, but you know, we're, we're going to do it. And I, I want to do this more. It might not always be about video games. It'll just be whatever suits my fancy, but so thank you for all for listening so far. But in general, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the moves in the video game space recently. I think PS plus has been incredibly high value and you know, big shout outs to Microsoft for pushing the, pushing the meta on that essentially with game pass. Um, PC, uh, PS Plus is still terrible, so hopefully Sony improves that. Um, I think the and it'll be interesting to see. I don't know whose approach is better. You know, obviously I'm optimistic about the whole like Sony's approach to not having premium games versus uh, day one versus Microsoft's approach to having premium games day one. I think that's really interesting. And rather than you know, I could conjecture all day about the merits. You know, this lifecycle management versus giving people a premium product on day one is you know. You could talk this up and down till you're blue in the face, and, and I'm sure plenty of podcasts and and industry commentators will. But I'm just more interested to see where it goes and keep tabs on this. I don't know which one's better. Nobody knows which one's better. If people say they know which one's better, they're bullshitting you, and if they're right, they got lucky because nobody can look into the future and tell you which one of these models is going to be better. They both have their benefits. They both have their cons. Um, so anybody saying, like, oh, this is guaranteed to be worse or better is wrong or at least misguided. So I think it's much more uh, and it's a lot less energy intensive to simply wait and sort of observe and and learn and hope that the industries also learn. Obviously, you know, consumer level learning is a little tricky because we don't have access to all the information. But as far as educating ourselves as consumers goes, we can absolutely view this, you know, and say like, ah, man, you know, I really like a lot of Sony's IPs, but I really don't like that they don't release them, you know, day one on the subscription service. So I'm going to cancel the subscription service. You know, and you can make an informed decision like that. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm a Sony fanboy or I'm a, I'm a Microsoft fanboy. The way that Sony and Microsoft do stuff is the best. And anybody else is just stupid. Take that, Nintendo. Ha <laughs> ha. So I don't think that's that's productive. I think that when people do that, they don't actually care about what they are fans of. It's like sports fans or most people in politics. You don't actually care about what you're talking about. You care about being better than another group of people. And that needs to stop. So let's try and think about this, you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit more selfish. You think about it from you as a consumer, like, how do I actually want to spend my money? Is it worth spending my money on on uh, on Game Pass when, you know, maybe they'll have premium products day one, but maybe it'll be like less quality on the in-between. Like if you have a release drought, like there are like three or four times a year, major release droughts. Are we going to have enough content in between those times? Um, whereas Sony, you could be like, man, like I was really hoping I could get you know, the new God of War. Uh, I was hoping I could get God of War Ragnarok free and premium, man. Like, it really sucks that they don't do that ever. And I have to wait until later. 
But either way, you're getting the game for free later, so that's kind of cool. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just excited to see how this move goes. And I, I think that, you know, these moves are, have been, up to this point, very consumer-friendly, and I'm interested to see if they stay that way. But that's going to be it for me. I am sweating. I uh, need to figure out a better solution or system for this, and I need to figure out how to speak my primary and only language. But thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any... Uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at the, the Spark City or find me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Spark City, or join my Discord. You can figure that out through Twitch as well. Um, and feel free to, you know, engage me in topics and stuff. I love talking about things. I love discussing opinions and hearing others' viewpoints on stuff. Uh, I find it very enriching a lot of the time. So if you have any topics you want me to broach, can be anything. It doesn't have to be video games, but video games is what I do with most of my life. So if you want, you know, any degree of me actually knowing what I'm talking about, that's probably where you're going to get your money's worth. So yeah, let me know any feedback you have for the episode as well. Uh, thank you all for listening very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.